Welcome to Origins, the podcast about the money behind the money. This podcast was created by Notation, a pre-seed venture firm based in Brooklyn, New York. This is a special episode hosted by Accolade Partners, a top-tier fund of funds and one of the first to launch a dedicated crypto fund of funds. Accolade has been one of Notation's closest partners and collaborators to date. Our host, Marcos Veremis, joined Accolade last year as a partner in their crypto practice and previously was an MD at Cambridge Associates for more than a decade, where he focused on alternative investments, including crypto. On this episode of Origins, we speak with Chris Ebeling, also known as Ebbs, creative director and co-founder of Virtually Human Studio, developer of Zedrun, a digital horse racing game built on blockchain technology. Zedrun is a fascinating Web3 game. You can visit the company's website at z.run, connect your MetaMask wallet, buy a unique digital horse, and start racing. We're very excited to have Chris join us today to discuss Zedrun, Web3, the Metaverse, and more. Ebs, welcome. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Marcus. Excited to uh, talk everything uh, Zedrun, Metaverse, and more. Ebs, at a high level, what is Zedrun? Yeah, awesome. So Zedrun is a digital horse racing ecosystem built on blockchain technology, where we use uh, you know the power of NFTs and blockchain as a foundational layer where users can buy, breed, race, and truly own their digital race horses. So it's a play-to-earn game uh, or ecosystem. We, we like to call it an ecosystem because really what it's about is putting the power back into the community and have the players drive the outcome. So they will be able to generate races, they they breed horses, they create tournaments, and then they will also earn dividends back on, you know, horse racing, breeding, and and everything else that comes with it. That's awesome. We'll go into the details of the game very soon, I promise you. Can you in the meantime talk to us a little bit about your background or your co-founders backgrounds? Yes, absolutely. So we're four co-founders, uh myself, Chris Ebeling, uh Rob Sala. Uh, Jeff Wellman, and then the brainchild, as we call him, uh, Chris Laurent. And uh, so Chris Laurent, he's the one who had the epiphany of Zed Run. He's an entrepreneur at heart, uh, as well as his uh, sidekick, I would say, uh, Rob Sala. They have been through many, many uh, projects together. Uh, myself, I come from a feature film and a digital artistry background. Uh, I've worked on many high-level Hollywood blockbusters and animation films and special effects movies, games, game trailers. And most recently in the last, uh, well, the last five years now, I've been specializing in, you know, emerging technologies such as, uh, you know, virtual reality, augmented reality, you know, machine learning, virtual production, all the exciting new uh, technologies that are coming out into the entertainment space which then kind of made the perfect marriage when we all met up. That's great. Now, you mentioned Chris, the other Chris, uh, yes. not Ebbs, that he got the idea for Zedrun. And now, how, how did he get the idea for, for Zedrun specifically? Yes, this is a very, uh, well, the, the, the tale or the myth, the story, the lore of uh, the ideation, which is really exciting. But the story goes that uh, Chris, he lives in a, in a region here in Australia called the Hunter Valley region, which is uh, known for its horses. Horse racing, uh, 
pedigree as well as its wine. It's a wine country. At the time, he had been working for a, a known, uh, I think it was a gambling regulator or a, dare I say, tab corp in Australia. But for the company he was working for at that time, he was doing some research into what blockchain and cryptocurrencies could perhaps do. So while he's embedded in this research stage uh, at the company, he was actually at a Chinese takeout restaurant in his neighborhood, uh, Mr. Yi's. And uh, in there, he saw a poster with a horse on it which had uh, $20,000 next to it. And he looked at it and he went, oh, that's pretty cheap for a horse, I guess. And when he would look closer, he saw that it was actually the breeding fee, the stud fee for this horse. Now, at the time with Chris's research, he'd been looking into uh, a game or a well-known NFT project at this time called CryptoKitties, which uh, where you buy and you, you buy pretty pictures of cats and you can breed them with other pretty pictures of cats and you create new pretty pictures of cats. Very familiar so, with that. Very familiar yes, with CryptoKitties. Yes. It was the first iteration, I guess. Well, it was, right? It's, it was the first spark in this NFT space and also of utility that can come with it, right? Oh, you can read two pictures and make another one and then that you can sell that other one uh, and they have different rarities. Um, so Chris took that idea with all his research and, and then looked into horse racing and said, well, you know, why don't we make a horse racing game on the blockchain, which symbolizes or which actually democratizes horse racing ownership? Because he was also inspired by the fact that when you're at, a, at the races, you know, you can watch a race and you can bet on other people's horses and or you can look at them and you can enjoy other people's horses in the race, but you never really have that feeling of owning a horse, right? Unless you're in a syndicate or have a lot of money. So part of the inspiration there was, was him wanting to democratize that through a digital game. So taking the real world horse racing elements, powering that with blockchain and true digital asset, asset ownership via NFTs, he now created and came up with the concept of Zed Run. That's amazing. That's amazing. Now, how did you all get together to discuss this idea? And uh, first question. And then second question, I guess, is did, did this happen gradually or was it an overnight thing for you where you said, I'm dropping everything I'm doing and I'm going to be joining this uh, Zedron idea and making something out of it? Yeah, look, these things happen gradually, but I guess in Chris's mind, and I'll speak for him, he, he's a very kind of uh, no risk, no reward guy. So when he gets an idea, he just jumps all in and, uh, you know, and that's very inspirational to work with. Uh, he's always like, you know, just let's, do, let's do it. Let's see what happens, you know? And, and I, and I appreciate that because without risk, there is no innovation. You know, you need to, you need to be, you know, fortune favors the brave, all those cliches, but they, they do reign true and they're a cliche for a reason. So what happened was, uh, when Chris and Rob had this idea, they tested it out, uh, with some, you know, 2D images of horses and the promise of a game. And then they started selling them online as NFTs. Once they saw that these horses actually were based on the white paper they'd put out at the time, that these horses were actually going, being sold on a secondary market, they could see the potential that people, oh, wow, people are actually buying and selling these horses already. And there's no game. There's nothing. There's actually just this promise. So that made them fully commit. They called me up. I remember actually I was in my bedroom where I still am today. And taking the call at that time, I was working at the YouTube, uh, University of Technology in Sydney, uh, where I was, uh, you know, specializing in innovation and, and ideation focused on emerging technologies. So I'd helped build a course and an academy that focuses on this. And they knew that well, they'd been following me on the side. I had a caveat to that is I'd previously worked with Chris and Rob on a project, you know, six, seven years ago. So we knew each other. We knew we wanted to work together again. And we knew we could, uh, we could do something special together when the timing was right. And, uh, you know, Chris and Rob felt the timing was now. They called me up 
Uh, I was intrigued. I had just dabbled into crypto, uh, you know, 2017. And yeah, so I agreed to help them on the side. You know, uh, I always believe as an artist, you have your day job, but you should always have something that keeps you kind of passion moving forward. And you, there's always a side hustle. It's, it's the way of when you're a digital artist and you're working in one project, there's always more. You can always, you know, you can always sharpen your sword uh, per se with other uh, projects and, and, and always grow, right? And I, I really believe in that f- fundamentally. So when they came with this idea to me, I was like, yeah, I'd love to help you on the side. There's always hours in the day you could find, you know, there's always sacrifices to be made to, to, to find time to actually help. And so we, we started by actually making these horses into these 3D specimens that you see behind me. So taking you know, my expertise in the visual side of entertainment and, and generating these you know, moving, living, breathing horses, creating a prototype for the game, uh, which you'll see in the early days, we just had dots racing. But then making that into three-dimensional, you know, spaces and really powered by Web3 technology. So it's web rendering uh, using uh, JavaScript and 3JS to bring these horses a lot to live on your web browser where you can in- engage and interact. So it didn't happen like in an instant. Uh, I, I, I helped them on the side for a good, thir- uh, good six months, I would say, or maybe yeah, close to six months. Uh, but then at a point we, we did some pitching and when we got our first kind of investment uh, and funding, that's when the fork in the road was, was made where you kind of had to make a decision. Either we go, you know, now I can jump all in because there's funds for actually me to take care of my family as well as pursue this 110% or do I stay with the, the university, which is of course, you know, university jobs are very cruisy and very nice and they're comfortable, uh, but you know. I think serendipity. Very different just, pace, uh, Abs. Yes, I yes, think. yes. Oh, super different. And, 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 you know, what I really love by the reflection of this narrative and story is I was in a position where I was telling these students and these uh, young entrepreneurs and innovators how to create an ID8 uh, instead of doing it myself. And now I was in a position where I was like, all right, now it's time to actually take what I've been talking about and put it into practice myself. And I felt that really um, wholesome, actually, and fulfilling that I now, instead of was just preaching I was actually doing. And, and, that, and that was, uh, that's, yeah, it's been super fun. And yes, a, a much faster environment for sure. More sleepless nights, but you know, it pays off, I think. For sure, for sure. Let, let's go back to the game a little bit. Um, you mentioned a few things about the game, but I'd, I'd love to ask you a few questions, assuming that, you know, most of the people listening to this podcast haven't played Zedron or don't know much yeah. about Zedron. Can, can you maybe describe the steps that one needs to, to take to get on board and start playing the game, maybe how horses are created, how how breeding works. Yeah. How do I increase my odds of winning a race? I mean, that's pretty important. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, Z Run is a game of skill, right? I have to make that very clear. There's a lot of things that you can do to get a better ROI, you know, a better a return on, 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 you know, play to earn strategies. Um, so to start with the game, you know, we, we have these horses called Genesis horses. There's only 38,000 of these horses. And these are the horses who were spawned, uh, you know, ethereally, digitally. They do not have mothers or fathers. They are the original Zed run horses. So out of those 38,000, we've released, I think we've released close to uh, 13 or 14,000. I'll have to fact check that. Um, but they're out in the ecosystem. And from that now, from breeding these horses from users actually obtaining these horses, they now breed them and then it creates an ecosystem of horses that are generated from these Genesis horses. The Genesis horses come in four different blood types. So there's the Nakamoto, the Zabo, the Buterings, and the Finneys. 
and and they all different rarities. And of course, there's different strengths in these different blood, blood types. Z1s to Z2s are Nakamoto blood types, and they're the strongest horses. So they, of course, possess some of the strongest genes, genetic DNA or digital DNA, as we call it, um, which are all, you know, stored inside the horse as an algorithm. It's up to the user. It's a game of discovery. It's a game of skill. It's up to the user for when she or he buys a horse to then unpack and discover this, like consider it a black box, if you will, that they then through racing, through breeding, will discover where this horse fares best, similar to the real world. If you bought a horse now or you were given a horse, you would have to figure out, is, is she a sprinter or is she a marathon or mid-level runner? Does she like the cold, the warm conditions? What track surfaces does she, does she run best on? And so on and so forth. So that's really in terms of racing, there's all that strategy involved. Uh, let me be clear that we are still very early days of Zed Run, where we are actually just in the next couple of weeks. And maybe by the time this podcast comes out, we're actually opening up surface variation, which is a new level of component of skill now that users have to take into consideration when racing a horse. So not only is it right now, it's distance, but now it'll be, then, and then we'll gradually open up its distance plus surface. Then we're going to open up distance plus surface plus weather and so on and so forth, gate preferences and, and et cetera. So what that will do is, and why we do it iteratively is so that we can then do one thing at a time, test it with the audience, test it with the community who is basically our, you know, at the end of the day, we're building for them, get the response, the feedback, the data to then move, adjust, and then unleash the next thing and the next thing. So we're still in beta. But we're, you know, as far as beta goes, we're a heavily played game. There's still three to 4,000 races a day, 24-7. So it's very active, uh, which is super cool. So that's that's the racing component, I guess. And, uh, and, and for, as a user, you just need to kind of test. The, the, the tip I'll give is if you've got a new horse, throw it in different races in different lengths. You can gather the data. You know, some people have spreadsheets. There's also these uh, communities uh, members have made these websites like Know Your Horses or Hawku, where you can go in and you can track your horse and they do all the data tracking for you because we have given them API access to the data. So they now can do all the statistical fun. Um, we also have that in our stable uh, viewer where you can go under the horse and you can see some stats on it. And we're constantly building that out to kind of give our users as much information as we feel is necessary for them to play this game of discovery and this game of skill and to increase their chances if they use this information correctly. So that was, that's basically uh, racing. There's a lot of different breeding theories out there, just like in the real horse racing world, where you will then have to trial and test and save your data to kind of figure out what the best breeding strategy is for your horse. Some horses are stronger breeders than others. Some are, are stronger racers than others. So this is all a part of that game of discovery as well, which of course we are also adding to at the moment. Like our breeding is going through a, um, a bit of an update as well, which is going to be really exciting where, where we're going to actually give our users a bit more intel and information on what it is they might expect to see from a foal when pairing two horses. Again, this is very digital. So when you get one horse to the left and one horse to the right, and before breeding them, we can actually give you some inclination or some idea of what that, if that's a good match or not, right? And, and it, again, it comes down to how much do we want to give in terms of keeping it a game of discovery, game of skill, and balancing that out. And that's really the, the, the fun part, but the hard part as well. And, and let me just ask a theoretical question now, since you're going to launch, you know, Surface and other features. Yeah. 
if down the road I could have a horse, let's say, and I want to go breed it, and and I want it to win in uneven surfaces in the winter, will will I have an idea of what what the best breeding pairing would be for my horse in order to deliver a horse that's able to do that, to be exactly. good at that? That 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 is the goal. But how much how much information you put up front is also the balance. You don't want to give everything away. It's not a black box. It's not a game of discovery anymore. But how much do we give away to lead you as a user to give you enough information to put the pieces of the puzzle together to make that strategy and strategic decision of skill to then breed that outcome? You might not get it wrong right the first time, but then you move over and you find the right pair and then you get it right the next time. So there's a bit of an iterative process, just like any scientific um, experiment, really, where you will try test, get the data back, try, test, get the data back. But through, through iteration, you should be able to, and you will be able to find out how to breed a strong horse, just like in the real world. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Are there, talking a little bit about, um, you mentioned the Nakamoto and, and yeah. the Zabo and different uh, genes for these horses. Um, I would assume that if you buy, if, if you go to OpenSea and buy a Nakamoto, for, for example, you have higher chances, other things being equal to win races or not necessarily. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, 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 it's right now it's racing and breeding, right? So, so a Nakamoto, if it's a strong racer, which is, it does, usually Nakamotos are, if you see throughout tournament statistics, and we've been hosting a lot of tournaments lately, you know, any tournament where we do let Z1 Nakamotos in or Z2 Nakamotos in, they usually dominate. But what's really cool is yeah, just the other day or in these last two weeks, I've seen a Z seven or Z two hundred and twenty-eight, which is a bred horse to its maximum. So every time you breed a horse, if I breed a Z one with a Z two, it becomes a Z three. If I do a Z ten with a Z ten, it's a Z twenty. So seeing a Z two hundred and thirty-eight actually get a second place on the podium spot with two Nakamotos speaks to this person or this stable owner actually figuring out some breeding uh, strategy to get a strong foal at that you know way down that ancestral line, which is super exciting and which is really speaks to, you know, what, what this should be about. It should be about that not these genesis are going to dominate forever. Yes, they, they have a strong bloodline. And I bet you if we look at that Z20 or 238 and we break down its bloodline and where this blood comes from, you'll be, sh- you can be sure there's Nakamoto blood in there somewhere, right? And so that's really what's really exciting that it. Not only is democratizing racehorse ownership, but also the decentralization of anybody having a chance to actually compete, uh, be it a big stable owner who has, you know, 30 grand to spend on a Z1 or someone who bought in, uh, bought a Finney at $200 and was able to breed it correctly and figure out how to kind of, uh, you know, build up this uh, legacy horse that can compete with the greats. That's um, incredible. And the permutations and combinations are... yes. In the millions or, or more. Yeah, I yeah, 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 they are. And, and, you know, again, it's, it's a discovery phase. It's, it's, we're not going to go out there and give everybody what, you know, what these algorithms do or not. It's, it's, that's part of the game as well, is that you have to figure out your way and seeing people succeed in it is really, uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. And we'll, we're going to see many more. Uh, that's for sure. That's awesome. Maybe another quick question. If somebody wants to start now, what's the best strategy you think? Uh, go buy a Z1 or, or what have you. It, of course, depends on budget. Then start start racing the horse, testing it out on different races, the three, 4,000 a day, and you know participating in the discords and communities and so on to try to 
get up to speed and figure out strategy and um, yeah. and next steps for them. Yeah. So doing your own research is absolutely important, right? And I think that's anything in you in the digital space. I think there's a uh, there's a rule that I like to play with is like you need to put 50 hours in, right? If you do 50 hours of homework, reading, surveying, understanding, asking questions in discords, on the Twitters, in the communities. Um, there's the, those amazing pages like Know Your Horses and Paul Coops, knowyourhorses.com and Paul Coo, where you can actually look at the horse data and stats. And then going in where you would buy a horse now would be on OpenSea. Uh, and you would just Basically, before buying a horse, I would look at it, I would check its price, and then I would go and take that name, put it into Know Your Horses, and then read up on its stats and get the level of detail in there of it. You know, a good idea is probably to split your budget, so also understand what your budget is. Um, but I would probably, just for the sake of testing and playing the game, to get an understanding, buy a low-level horse, and just to get into the ropes a bit of it, of you know, the rhythm of what how this works. But then once you've done your research, um, it's worth actually putting a bit of, you know, investment in a trying to buy the right horse, looking at what its win percentages is, looking at its bloodline, has it bred horses? What kind of horses has it bred? Like going down that family tree and up the family tree, where does it come from and where where does it send its genetics as well? And I think, you know, again, 50 hours of research is, is fair. Uh, of course, you can also just jump in. The Zed community is, is absolutely amazing. So if you jump into the Discord and you start ask, asking questions, don't be afraid to ask. There's no such thing as silly questions because they're really, really kind people and they're really, really helpful. You know, I would be aware of doing like uh, just a disclaimer, I guess. Don't do any like private transactions, you know, never give up your, your seed phrase of your wallet. Uh, and to speak to that as well, I mean, you do need to have a Ethereum to play this game. So if we go all the way back to how to onboard on this game, you do need to have a MetaMask wallet with some Ethereum in it. And that's how you can transact on the Zed Run platform. That's great. And that's a great segue to my next question, which is why did you decide to design Zedrun in Web3 slash NFT format? Why didn't you design it in a, as a traditional game, like the ones we've seen in the past, where I could go into the game, I could buy a few horses. Next time I log in, my horses are there. Perhaps yeah. I can't trade them as easily, or maybe you can create a marketplace inside the game. So the, the question is, why did you decide to do it in Web3 NFT format? That's my uh, first question. And then I have several others around that. Perfect. Well, this is something that I've, uh, us founders are very passionate about. Um, and it is the decentralization and the true digital asset ownership. You know, I think um, the NFT space, there's, of course, a lot of education that needs to be had. But, you know, NFTs are here to stay. And, and the fact that you can, using blockchain technology, have a transparent ledger system, which is global, that really shows who owns what, it helps give wealth back to the players. The games these days, and, and rightly so, are for entertainment, but also they can be used in eSport and you can take them further. And of course, if you're a professional, you can make a lot of money just playing video games in the Web2 format as well. But the fact that you now are buying into an ecosystem and playing a game where you own a part of it, it, it enhances that emotional connection, but it also puts the, the prosper the, or the, you know, puts wealth back into the player's hands, right? They are now able to obtain more um, tangible wealth by actually playing this game. They can take a horse that they own. It doesn't just sit in the game like a Web2 game where you actually have to log in and it lives under their certain. They actually own this horse. It brings the realism of the two worlds. It blends the, the digital world with the, the real one that we know today. And it, it's, it's, yeah, it's super early, but it's super exciting. And I think we've already, we can already see 
what the promise is, you know, and what the opportunities are in this space. That's great. Did, did you face any challenges building it on blockchain rails and using the Web3 format? Always. We have made plenty of mistakes, but the way we like to work is we, we like to uh, fail often and fail fast. We like to take risks and make mistakes and learn from them. I, I think that's just the way, um, you know, being one of the, being the first mover of making a game at this level in the, in the crypto blockchain NFT space, we've had to lay the rails as we go. And we've, we, there is no framework to follow. We are creating one as we go. So yeah, there's been plenty of challenges. Uh, if you look at the history of Zed, you know, we, we still, to this day, we, we make changes to the racing system and they're not perfect, but that's the beauty of, I mean, a being in beta, but also the beauty of being on this forefront of innovation that we, we we're learning with the community. We're putting stuff out there. I have a, a post-it note on my sh- screen that actually says, stick with the vision deploy and test, stick with the vision, deploy and test. So we, we, we got to stick with what we believe in, but until we put it out there and really get our user feedback, our community feedback and the player feedback, we don't know what, what, what's going to, why we have an idea of what's right or wrong, but until it goes into the hand of the user and they give us their feedback, which sometimes can be very harsh, but fair. And sometimes it's harsh and that's okay. And, and to speak to that, it's awesome having a passionate community that actually, you know, want to pipe up about these things. I think the worry is the day that they don't say anything because that's the day they stop playing our game. So it's all about understanding where we are and, and understanding who we're working with and how passionate our community is. And yeah, we want to make the best game possible for them. Great. Let's t- let's talk a little bit about product and design specifically. You know, the visuals and the audio and the game. I think that the design is beautiful in my view. Uh, and I was curious how the design choices were made for the horses and, and then how the sound and music was selected. When I first bumped into Zedron, I, I went on OpenSea and I bought this beautiful golden horse. Nice. Uh, initially, I didn't, I didn't know much about the game, but I loved the visuals around it. So I went and just bought it. It just so happens to be a very low Zed. Uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't really kind of the or the top horses, but still, you know, visually it was incredible. Well, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. So visually, again, uh, as I mentioned, you know, uh, back in the day, uh, Chris Laurent, he came up with a concept, which was just this vector, a flat 2D vectored horse, but it had these triangulated digital aesthetic to it. And when he um, showed me me that, it was like, we, we talked about where the design was, what's the world around this, right? Uh, and, you know, why build something which we already have in reality is the first question that I ask myself as a designer. Like, why would we do an exact one-to-one replica of real-world horse racing on oval tracks on grass, you know, with real muscular-looking brown, different, you know, tinged brown horses, when we can actually, you know, the metaverse and this kind of digital creation and, the, you know, my backstory and the stories that I love to tell are all about new worlds, which are familiar and have heuristics to the worlds we live in. So taking horse racing as a concept, but then putting it into these digital future worlds was always something that we love. And, you know, Chris is a storyteller as well. And we're all old gamers at heart um, and we love sci-fi. It just made sense that, you know, stepping into these digital worlds would be like stepping into an escapist reality, but nothing that we haven't seen before. For example, Tron, Blade Runner, you know, Ready Player One, Star Wars, all these kind of movies that have been tropes for us growing up, we wanted to kind of pay homage to, but also reflect on. And, you know, we, we, we are also very, you know, bullish that we are an entertainment company. And, you know, in entertainment, you must have story. Uh, we must build things 
you know, we must design things with a reason. Otherwise they're just things, you know, they're just stuff. So, you know, every design choice that we make, uh, there's a who, what, where, when, and why. And if you ask those questions before you design something, you'll know exactly what, where it's from and what, what, what purpose it serves and how it should look. So for the horses and the environments, it's all about parallel universes that you can step into. Uh, there are backstories which are being generated, uh, which we have yet to share. We've talked a bit about it with the public, but we're, 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 st we're still not ready to go kind of all in on story yet. But it's definitely something that I'm super passionate about because it's, it's, it, it, you know, it gives reasoning. You know, story uh, gives us a reasoning. Who, who made the decisions on the music? That's also very, uh, uh, I think, very good and very, uh, you know, very good choices there as well, I believe. Yeah. I, I, I encourage people to go into the game if they haven't and they can, they can see for themselves the visuals, they can hear the, the music and the audio, yeah. look at the races, follow the races. Yeah, great. As a music is a, is, a, is a powerful thing. So music and sound effects, I mean, uh, they add so much. Like if you close your eyes and you watch a great movie, you can still be immersed because of the soundtrack and the sounds, right? So music is, of course, uh, a really important part of it. And to play into the design ethics and the digital space, which this place is, it's all digital, you know, using digital music was key. But then we also very, we love synthwave. We love, we're 80s kids. So we wanted to play retro, kind of throwback themes with the retro music and synthwave approach. Um, an interesting thing about the music is we did actually do a competition with another blockchain company called Emanate, who, who are a uh, blockchain music company. And we did a little competition where people could uh, make these tracks. So some of the tracks that we're using are actually competition winners of artists who have maybe never published something before and they're having their music played across you know 3,000 races a day so it's it's definitely another uh, area where we wanted to combine these you know emerging technologies and using other blockchain applications uh, as well but we're still working on music we're still working on sound we, we think there's there's a lot more to be done uh, absolutely from every engaging interactive point you know Um, if you go into the horse viewer and you meet your horse and it's walking there, I don't know if you've done that yet, but it's walking, you've got this amazing sound, the horse neighs, you know, we want to, we want to actually break it down. So sound plays into the different variation of a horse. So, you know, you have your breed types, which are the six or seven different breed types. And then there's the bloodline types. If each breed type now has a different sound and evokes a different animation, We're creating unique identities now. And, and really the end goal for myself is to make these horses, you know, living and breathing and believable. So people actually have a stronger emotional connection with this digital NFT, this digital asset, you know, big, big goal. Make somebody fall in love with their horse. No, absolutely. Uh, I, I fell in love with the one I bought, the first one, the golden one, just by there the visuals go. without having raced. So there you go. I think you did a great job there. <laughs> Talking about now the, the business, Zed Run, the business a little yeah. bit. What is the general monetization model for, for Zed Run? Yeah, good question. Um, so we used, to, we used to take rake on racing. Like, you know, racing, you, people would buy in, uh, like you'd run a race. We would take a percentage of the purse there. Actually, now, instead, we take all that money, goes back into a racing pool, which then goes, gets used to generate more races and tournaments. So it funds the ecosystem. Uh, breeding is a big uh, monetization area where when you breed with another horse, we, of course, facilitate that utility and we take a percentage of that. 
Um, so those are the main kind of monetizations areas at the moment. But, you know, with partnerships, uh, we've had some amazing partnerships and have some amazing partnerships coming up as well. We have some in progress with, uh, you know, NASCAR. We've had partnerships with Stellar Artois, uh, Atari. And to name it through, we've done real world partnerships with Preakness Stakes, which is a horse racing in the real world in America. We've done it with the Melbourne Cup. Oh, sorry, not the Melbourne Cup, but Victoria Racing, the Melbourne race, the race that stops the nation in Australia. So we've had some amazing partnerships as well there, which also help fund and help bring in monetization. That's awesome. You mentioned, you know, these um, partnerships that you've made with Stellar, Tua, NASCAR and others. And yeah. it made me think about Web 2 and Web 3 business models. You know, the Web 2 business yeah. models have been all about, or, or not all of them, of course, but a large number of them about advertising. It's advertising-based types of models. Web 3 business models have generally not been connected to advertising and brands so far. Can you talk a little bit about how these two worlds are converging? The Web3, you know, crypto world, which has been this island of its own in a way, this decentralized Mm -hmm. philosophy and token related and no corporations in and all of that with with Web2, which is the corporate world, let's say. How are these two business models merging together and can they coexist? Absolutely. Uh, is the answer they can coexist and they will, uh, and they are merging at the at the moment. I mean, uh, just to speak on our behalf, you know, when we brought on uh, a partner like Stella Artois, that was very big news. Stella Artois, you know, dared to dip its toes in the metaverse with you know a premier sport of the metaverse, and, and I think from their perspective, it was all about Stella Artois marketing in Web two and in the in the current world, real world. Uh, it's all about they support sports. And when they looked into the metaverse and saw Zed Run, they saw it as a premier sport of the metaverse. So it was a perfect alignment. And so bringing them on board was a lot of fun. And, and then also to speak to how we wanted to create this marketing campaign, per se, and this partnership. It wasn't about just, you know, in the current world or in the Web2 format, putting banners, ad banners, or on trackside banners. It was more about We've got these horses and they're empty canvases. You can use them as a canvas for advertising, which is no different than putting, you know, let's say a, 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 a logo on the, on the side of a Formula One car or a NASCAR car, right? So, but we can do that with our horses, but we can reskin them totally because they're digital, right? You can actually, you can actually take the level of uh, innovation and execution to another level that you can't in the real world because it's digital. You can do anything. Um, same with the track that we designed. So we designed a track instead of designing a track that just said, this is a Stella track. We, we, we went in and we designed a track that felt like the brand Stella. So they had a campaign called Life in Artois, which we then looked at and we loved the colors. We loved the kind of, uh, palleted style and feel. And we took that and working with their team and dissected that and built a three dimensional track now that you can race through, which has the feeling of Stella. And then in the background, you can see like the Hollywood sign on the hill that there's a Stella Artois kind of Hollywood sign. So it's about sprinkling in cute little details, but also being, uh, I like to use the word elegant uh, and having elegance in the approach. So it's not just, you know, corporate marketing you know, as we know it, where it's just plastering as much of the space and and, and filling it up. It's more uh, doing it in a, in a different way and, it you know, trying to innovate within that space. Uh, we're... To, to kind of go further and just speak away from Zed Run. So we've done with NASCAR as well. We've done with Real World. We have some other big partnerships which we'll be announcing shortly. But but you're seeing brands like Nike come into this space uh, who recently uh, bought a company called Artifact, which was like the leading, uh, you know, leading fashion 
brand in the metaverse, like you could say. So my, Nike coming in and playing with them. We've seen Adidas come in with the Bored Apes. So you're seeing this crossover now and, and you're seeing it everywhere now. Like really now NFTs are trending hard and 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 everybody's is, is jumping in. So to answer your question, the, the crossover of the emergence is happening. The way we like to approach it, again, I, I would I'd say is with elegance and with innovation. Uh, there's so many new exciting ways now to activate branding campaigns and marketing using, again, emerging technologies, Web3, uh, digital asset ownership, uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, and so forth. So there's, there's, there's a lot. We're still early. That's, that's incredibly interesting. If I, as a, a digital horse owner, uh, decide to, to get in touch with Stella and ask them to put a banner, a Stella banner on my horse. Yes. Can I do that conceivably? Can I do that? Of yes. course, they wouldn't, they wouldn't just do it for anyone, I think. But if, my, if I start winning races and yes. I start you know, be, becoming one of the top uh, racers across, across several tracks, can I then tell them, hey, uh, I'll allow you to put your banner on my horse um, and make an economic arrangement with them just as one of the Zed Run owners? I love that you asked that because I recently was talking about this in a meeting and it's definitely the goal. Like, so the goal is it's a decentralized world. It's going to be the community that runs it. And there's an analogy that I've used a couple of times that if you're a Zed Run race, if you have one horse, you have, you have, you could have a really great horse. Let's say you have the LeBron James or the Cristiano Ronaldo or the Rafael Nadal horses, just so we have some sports analogy in there. But you could also potentially have a stable of horses. Let's say you have the Real Madrid, you have a team, or you have the Los Angeles Lakers, or, or you know, whatever the other sports analogy is there. But then you, there's also a possibility where we're going to let you own racetracks. We've talked about this before. It's something that we want to do. You own a racetrack. Now you're like Mark Cuban, the Dallas Mavericks owner, who has a stadium where you now have to host events. And based on the success of the events and the races that you run, the horses you're able to bring in. And now think about it in parallel. It's all about, you know, content creators, Twitch streamers. Where, is, where, where are people watching? Are there many people looking at these races? Are you getting 3,000 views a day every time you race or a million a week? And can you quantify the viewership? Then of course, yes, it's, it's not unrealistic or unfeasible to think that uh, Red Bull or Stellar come to you and say, hey, I've noticed your horse is winning all these races. There's always, you know, 20,000 people watching every time your horse wins a race. Would you like to strike up a sponsorship agreement where we put our Red Bull or our Stella banner on your horse? Us as a business model, I'd like to think that we then facilitate this arrangement. And of course, that's a way that we then monetize and keep our business alive. Just a small percentage, for example. But then what the beauty of this is the owner of this horse now has a real world sponsorship tied to a digital asset that lives in Web3. I mean, that's the dream. And that, and that is definitely uh, not a, it's, you know, it's not far off. Honestly. That's truly the metaverse. That is the metaverse. It's, it's everything you can do in reality can be echoed in the metaverse in a digital reality, you know, a layer that lives above or beyond us, but you can empower more people, right? Like think about how Web2 has empowered so many content creators YouTube stars, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and more. Web3 is not replacing that. Web3 is adding to that through digital fidelity of agency in the metaverse, but also true digital asset ownership 
and decentralization. And that's, yeah, I think you hit it on the head. That's the power of the metaverse. That's awesome. Let's talk about VCs a little bit. We didn't we didn't start by talking about VCs, but I'd love to talk to you um, and ask you about your experience with fundraising from uh, VCs so far and uh, with Zedron. You know, the good and the bad. And yeah. maybe start with that, and then I can you can weave in what you're looking for when you're partnering with a VC, perhaps. Yeah, awesome. Look, so there's a lot of excitement and enthusiasm around Web three right now, and especially in play to earn gaming. So, you know, again, as we spoke about it, for the first time ever, gamers are really being rewarded. Any gamers are being rewarded for creating a community and content within games, right? Other than the Web2 Switch we just talked about. But anybody who plays a game now has that power. So there's a lot there. But we, we actually have to be super patient. And so does, I mean, we believe VC should uh, as well, because it's still, you know, the very beginning days of Web3 and, and play to earn economy. And we need to actually look at it long term and, and see what the opportunities are ahead without the current perhaps inflation that there is today. But having said that, we've had a lot of success, thankfully, and we're very humbled and blessed. You know, we had a, a really great Series A round, which has helped fund and fuel us with some really, really big investors. And um, yeah, we're, we're kind of just like looking ahead. We're still at the starting lines, we feel like. We're still like, if you ask us today, we're still only 30% of the where we want to be. So for sports analogy, it's like we're in the first quarter of a basketball game. Or in a 100-meter race, we're putting our shoes on and getting ready for this final dash. So there's no other company we feel that's better than us, virtually human, to really shift and shape this space. And we feel like we've, we've, we've done that so far, and uh, we will continue to do that. But we must be patient as well. You know, We don't want to be too slow, but we don't want to be too fast either. There is a, a, an elegant balance to be struck, and I feel like we're walking that rope at the moment. Great, great. How do you feel about crypto native VCs versus, let, let's say, VCs from the more traditional side? Because one, the reason I'm asking is because one, one thing we've, we've observed, I mean, there's for several businesses and protocols in, in Web3, particularly decentralized finance and other such areas, mm-hmm. founders have tended to prefer to work with the crypto native VCs. Because uh, they they they've been much more flexible to work uh, on their token economics and they understand yeah. the protocols and what the founders are trying to do much better and they've generally avoided the traditional VCs. But I feel that in your world it's a little different. It is, it is, and and we've managed to align ourselves with actually more of the traditional VCs, you know, uh, who are focused on what we believe we are, and that's uh, sports and entertainment. So there's some strategic alignment there as well, you know, in, in terms of uh, who who we, we uh, want to work with, because, you know, we do want to be the future of entertainment. And we we see ourselves as a catalyst in this space uh, with just what we're doing early on with Zed Run, but also to speak to your point about sponsorship for the, for the individual racehorse owner and, you know, owning racetracks and the, you know, the entertainment phenomenon, which can surround this digital sport is no different to what surrounds, let's say, for the sake of NBA today, where you have ESPN, TNT, ABC, and all these networks surrounding one sport. So we are looking at that, but in the digital world. And we've had a lot of success with that. So we personally realign ourselves with people who suit our strategy and suit our goals in terms of uh, being the future of digital entertainment. Great. 
So you touched upon it a little bit, but maybe we go a little deeper now. This is my last set of questions for you to, uh, tonight or morning for you, Ebs. By the way, I should mention that I'm in Washington, D.C. Ebs is in outside of Sydney. So we are in our yeah. completely different time zones. The power uh, of Web2, baby. That's right. <laughs> so where are we now in the life cycle of the company? You touched upon that a bit. And maybe a better question is, what are your big milestones in the next year or so? Yeah. Love to hear more. Okay. So life cycle of the company. Wow. Again, I still would say 30%, 40%. You know, without speaking about, like Zed Run is our, um, an analogy that Chris Laurent likes to use, and I, I like using it as well, is Zed Run is our Mickey Mouse. And we want to create, you know, we want to create Disneyland. So so um, with that said, we, we also have, you know, another project uh, on the side. Uh, you know, we've, we've, we've recently bought in a, a virtual production studio called Spectre Studios, super talented, to come help us and co-produce another project called um, Human Park, which is a huge play. Life cycle, 30 to 40%, uh, not putting all your eggs in one basket, diversifying as a, as a company. But for Zed, there is so much to come. And this year is really a huge year in terms of tokenization, as we mentioned, uh, onboarding, uh, lending. So being able to lend out horses, as I mentioned, you know, we, we need to find a way that anybody, anytime can come in and time to fund, focusing on time to fund. So anybody who heard of Zed Run can jump on, get a horse and get the thrill of racing a digital racehorse. And then also putting the, the control of the, the ecosystem back into the community through, you know, again, tokenization, race generation, um, making them, again, what we're building here is not a game where we set out the rules. What we really want to build is a platform where the community gets to dictate and create and ideate because we feel that's, that's what we're building. We're building a community. So yeah, 30% of the way. There's lots of work to do. This year is going to be big for us. Uh, super exciting to to roll out all these changes. And then, like we mentioned, we talked about the variables like surface. Now, the, how that's going to play in the game of skill. Weather is going to come across. Different altitudes and all sorts of fun stuff that we can put in and make this more of a, you know, a game of discovery and a game of skill. And really, you know, put the skill back into the player's hands on how they best make a return on their racehorses. I know you have to first work on the horse racing stuff and there's just so much to do as you're mentioning yeah can you tell us a little more about human park yeah yeah so uh, like i mentioned we've got it we've got another game coming dropping soon called human park so if you go humanpark.io and what human park is it's actually very passionate about this as well again another brainchild from uh, from our uh, our fearless ideator chris laurent and it's all about your self-identity in the metaverse you know everybody has this idea of what the metaverse is going to be uh, we want to approach that differently. Uh, and, and I like to go down the tropes of, you know, I'm a 40 year old man and how many different identities have I taken throughout my lifetime? How, how often have I changed my hairstyle, my, my, my fashion, my, my clothes, my, my belief systems even, you know, and, and we're constantly evolving as humans in the real world. You now take that into the metaverse. How are you going to be identified there? Who's your tribe? Who are you going to be, you know, hanging out with? How are you going to identify yourself? So playing on those, and I think what's really interesting there is it doesn't matter what technology you put on, we're going to always going to be humans behind the technology that drives it, right? Human phenomenons, human mannerisms, human psyches, uh, the thought process, you know, that's really what, what drives it. We facilitate that with tools uh, and entertainment through tools. So Human Park really plays on this. It's a, it's a fun way of uh, accessing 
a metaverse. And what we really want to focus is on is, is your self-identity and your self-exploration. You create your journey. We want to work with the community, just much like we're doing with Zed Run, by giving them things, you know, deploy, test, iterate, get the data back and help them generate this ecosystem, which will, at the end of the day, become a, a huge world, no different to the things like Grand Theft Auto or Roadblocks. If you think about what those games do for role-playing and people's identities and belonging and uh, communities and you know, friendships and entertainment, all that packaged, but then powered, again, by blockchain technology, NFTs, true digital asset ownership, true play-to-earn economy. So the time you put in in this space, I mean, you could become a, you could work in a coffee shop in a digital world, perhaps, or be a sports star in a digital world and make real world money, right? And that's really what the metaverse is about. And you see it in the real estate in the metaverse, right? Sandbox to central end. Uh, it's no different than the real world. If you, if you find the right place to put a coffee shop where there's enough traffic, well, that's where the marketing will go. That's where, that's where the sales are going to happen. And the same in the metaverse. If you find the right real estate, if you find the right place to put a banner, and now again, if Stella want to come and put a banner on your real estate, you'll end up selling. You're going to see people ending up selling, you know, marketing spaces and, and um, marketing real estate to commercial companies. And it's, uh, yeah, it's fascinating. And you can, I can see this and I hope everybody else who's listening can see it. Uh, and if not, they might think I'm crazy, but that's okay. It takes a bit of crazy. I mean, you're, you're showing the way with Zedron already. So I, I think uh, so. Yeah, definitely. definitely <laughs> the, so. the way, the way things have uh, progressed so far. Yeah. Well, Ebs, this has been truly fascinating. Uh, this has been an amazing discussion. Uh, I think we learned a ton. I promise you that I'm going to do my at least 50 hours of homework and, and that you mentioned before, and I'm going to be participating in more races and trying to improve the yeah. results. But uh, again, you know, thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, absolute pleasure. You know, I could talk for hours. And uh, yeah, thanks for asking all those amazing questions. And uh, yeah, honored to be here, humbled to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Ebs. Take care. This podcast was created by Notation, a pre-seed venture firm based in Brooklyn, New York. We invest in product-focused teams on day zero. You can find us on Twitter at Notation Capital. Thanks to our friend Marcos Faremis from Accolade Partners for hosting this episode. You can find him at accolatepartners.com.